your coffee mug has its own set of dice. When the legends of Brits are vast. When, oh my gosh, it keeps on going. That is when heroes rise. You stand between me and my lord and kin. Be gone. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Welcome, brave adventurers, to Heroes Rise. I'm Ostron, and joining us on our quest this evening are two of the wisest adventurers in the land. I'm Ryu. And I'm Lennon. And this is the 227th entry into our chronicle, recorded on Saturday, October 15th, and released Wednesday, October 19th, over at HeroesRisePodcast.com. So, Lennon, what's in store for our brave adventurers this week? Well, in this week's Adventures Pack, Ryu has crafted a new spearhead. Then we're going to head into the archives of Candlekeep and take a long rest as we attempt to tackle a subject that has taken 38 mainline novels to cover, the legendary deeds of Drizdoern. And finally after that, we'll be heading into the scrying pool to see what you all have to say. That takes care of all the introductions, so let's take a look at what's in our adventurers' packs. Do you always carry this much in your bag? If we're going to get out of here, we're not going to need a few things. Name one thing you're going to need the stupid rule for! So I know it's not even Halloween yet, but I figured that now would be a great time to give you guys a head start on your holiday gift shopping for your gaming group. And to that end, I found a really nice Etsy shop that sells handmade novelty tabletop aids that, while certainly aren't necessary to make the time at the table fun, can certainly add to the fun. And they just make great gifts for your players, uh, your DM, or even your favorite female podcast host. Just saying. Anyway, Spearhead Crafts on Etsy has a variety of handmade wood and plexiglass, Magic the Gathering, D&D, and other TTRPG tabletop aids, such as life counters, tokens, storage chests, initiative trackers, spell and class specific resource trackers, a very nice dragon DM screen, and coasters that double as a small dice tray and dice holder. Now, I have seen several different tabletop aids similar to Spearhead's offerings, but usually those are fairly cookie cutter in their execution, whereas I feel like, I feel Spearhead stuff is pleasantly unique. So I mentioned they make class-specific trackers, and I've never seen any class trackers quite like these before. And these are definitely my favorite things in the shop. They're almost like a wooden character sheet, but all of the number fields like AC and spell save DC and the hit dice are movable cogs. And there are ball magnets that are implemented elsewhere to keep track of things like spell slots and death saves. I really just like how these are designed. They're, they're a very creative design. The coasters and the HP trackers can be personalized with class emblems as well. And the coasters, when they're not being used as a dice tray or a beverage stand, also feature an outer rim with slots to keep the dice when they're not being used. There are at least four different designs of initiative trackers in the store too. And I think the initiative trackers are my second favorite next to the class trackers. They just look really nice and easy to use and would just look good on your table. And some of them come with special tokens to use with the tracker too. Now, these things can get somewhat pricey since they are handmade and slightly customizable. 
the DM screen is around $300, I think. The class trackers are in the 70 USD range, and the HP trackers are around 9. The coasters are around 20. But these are really well made, and they would definitely make a great, unique gift for the tabletop nerd in your life. Or even for yourself, if you want to spend your own holiday money. I was going to say that I have to disagree with Ryu, because I think the initiative trackers are the coolest thing on this site. They've got a couple of different iterations of them, and yeah, a lot of them are pretty unique. At least I can't recall seeing ones quite like them in other shops, and the the prices do seem a little cheaper than comparative products I've seen on other prices. In some cases, not so much, but a lot of the time when I look at a product and then look down at the price, my reaction is, oh, that's not too bad. Yeah, I really like the plexiglass initiative tracker that they've got. That one just looks really good. It's just little bits of plexiglass that you just drop in um, to set up your turn order. Some for your players, some for the monsters. It's such a simple idea. It will fold completely flat and... It just looks really awesome. I, um, I'm genuinely surprised I haven't seen something like this elsewhere. I think this is the only one of that type that I've seen. Like, you get similar things where you can put them in the top of your DM screen from companies like Wormwood and Dogmite, but I don't think I've ever seen it as like a standalone module like this. And yeah, that's that's really cool. I'm not sure I'm 100% sold on the player character sheet class tracker things, but that could just be because really? I don't... Yeah, well, I don't, I don't often play... And wow. so to me, this just looks a combination of kind of busy and like, it just reminds me of sort of like a, a play board that you would sit in front of a toddler when they're learning about like <laughs> textures and shapes and cogs and wheels. And like, do you, do you know the sort of thing that I'm talking about? Yes, that would be called a sensory board. Whatever. I, I would <laughs> argue, though, that for a large number of D&D players, that wouldn't be a bad thing in any respect. Uh if they yeah. had something like that to fiddle with. The fact that it's actually useful would just be a bonus. <laughs> yeah, but can you imagine getting halfway through your encounter and saying to your cleric, okay, does a 15 hit? And they look at it and go, I don't know, my AC says it's 38 right now. <laughs> I think my favorite thing about those is just the, the ball magnet implementation. That's yeah. what made me feel like they were more unique. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and overall, it is really good craftsmanship, all of this here. Even the tokens that they do, the um, like the, the just standard bucket of monster tokens type thing, they're a lot cheaper than the official ones from Wizards of the Coast, that's for certain. And, I mean, £20 for a sheet that has, uh, I don't know, approximately 40 tokens on it, including ones of different sizes, so you've got your dragons and everything. Yeah, this is really neat. Add to cards. <laughs> I think I'm definitely going to pick myself up one of those initiative trackers. I do have to say I disagree with the marketing on their um, quote-unquote dice trays because maybe it's just me and I'm too aggressive of a player, <laughs> but if I have a surface that's pretending to be a dice tray, I need it to have actual walls on the side <laughs> like i'm because i am i am doing table craps throws with my dice i need them to bounce off and still stay there otherwise mm -hmm. they're going to end up like five feet across the room with 
just using the tray as a springboard. So, yeah, other than that minor complaint, uh, I definitely think they have a good set of things here. And there's stuff if you like Magic the Gathering as well, not just D&D. There's also a couple of things for Vampire Masquerade. Um, yeah, but we, we don't talk about them here. They're, they're not a Wizards of the Ghost Company. We... And Warhammer. That's why I said there were other TTRTG elements there. <laughs> that's true, that's true. And Warhammer, debatable whether that falls under the Watsy umbrella now. Thanks, Magic the yeah. <laughs> Links to Spearhead Crafts can be found in our show notes, but is there something that's an absolute must-have at your tables? Found a cool app, book, or other item you'd like to share with other adventurers and dungeon masters? If so, let us know about it on social media at Heroes Rise D&D, or by emailing sendingstone at heroesrisepodcast.com. But for now, let's take a long rest and head into the archives of Candlekeep to learn all about the legend of Drit Stewarding. I require access to all human knowledge. Oh, you've come to the right place, my boy. No, I forbid it. You forbid it. And how exactly are you going to accomplish that? I have my ways, but I really hope you wouldn't be a complete... Okay, that kind of talk is uncalled for. Is it? at all possible you could keep the disturbing argument with yourself down to a dull roar? Oh, good, Ostron. Please tell her that she's being unreasonable. I'm sorry, you want me to do you a favor? I'm sorry. You want to keep all your internal organs? Fine. Ryu, you're being unreasonable. Oh, sure. Take her side. She just, you heard her ask me, I was so... Well, congratulations, you're all testing the limits of the supposedly soundproof recording booth. What in Titania's name is going on in here? Ashran won't help me argue with her, she's She's not not listening to me. Oh, and I thought it was disturbing when they argued one at a time. Ashran, are you okay? You seem to be hugging your staff. I'm... Hoping more bodily contact means the spells will be stronger when one of them tries to kill me. Okay, I, I think we probably all really need to calm down here. Calm. Fine. I'll show you calm. Uh, where are we? Oh, did she? Oh, damn it, yes, she did. Um, this is all very flush and red there's lots of red she forced us into a leoman's tiny hut you sure based on the decor this looks more like leoman's intimate boudoir if you have enough mental control you can influence the spell i guess this is how she makes it look when she casts it i sometimes i really hate that she has access to my body (laughs) oh Oh, well, if it makes you feel any better, I think there's at least a millimeter of dust on everything, so she hasn't used it lately. <sighs> anyway, why are we in here? I'm guessing she wants you two to tell me why I shouldn't go see Dritzt. Is he in town? Mm, this flyer showed up in my room the other day. Are you a drow? Are you on the surface? Do you actually not think Loth is that great? Meet others that feel as you do. Special appearance by Dritz de Word. I don't even know how I got it. His wife probably helped distribute them. Is she a monk? No, he is. Sort of. Hang on, hang on. Dritz is a ranger. Everyone knows that. I mean, he's famous for it. Yes, but you're apparently not caught up on current events. 
still better off than I am. Never grew up around drow, so I know almost nothing. Well, I guess while we're stuck in here, we may as well go over it. Oh. Look up. Book? So, did she, like, trap Libby in here with us? Or did Libby just know it needed to be here? Who knows? Now, is she going to interrupt? I don't think so. I don't feel her pushing for control at the moment, anyway. All right, step back. Oh, is this going to be another Dragonlance thing? Not quite that bad, but when Libby drops the book, start with the summary sheets. All right. Dritster Arden is one of the most famous fictional characters to come out of D&D. Some people say he is the 100% most famous character, Stranger Things notwithstanding. He's the rebel drow that forsook his heritage, made his way to the surface, and established a long-running legacy with his swords, panther, and companions. There is a debate about some things, but a lot of people consider him to be the main reason the Forgotten Realms rose to as much prominence as it did. Some say he's also the reason rangers, drow playable races, and animal companions are always the focus of a lot of fan attention in whatever edition of D&D happens to be in print. However, as with many popular figures, he definitely has his detractors and critics. We're going to spend some time reviewing his history, the state he's in currently as a fictional character, and where things might be going. We'll start off with his creator, R.A. Salvatore. In the mid-80s, Bob, as he is sometimes called by his fans, was an undiscovered author who was working on his first novel, which he finished in 1987. As budding authors did in the 80s, he had finished the manuscript and was sending it out to publishers blind. Since his first novel was fantasy, one of the places he sent it was TSR. TSR in 1987 was in flux. Gary Gygax had left the company two years prior and the messy nature of the split meant it was uncertain if TSR was legally allowed to publish more material for Greyhawk. The only other setting TSR had going fully at the time was Dragonlance, but Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, the arbiters of the setting, were starting to feel unappreciated by TSR by then and the relationship was already heading south. TSR was gearing up to release second edition within the next couple of years, so they needed a setting that they had full control over, which could generate interest like Dragonlance, and the only other settings running at the time were ones that were based on Conan and the unnamed Oriental adventure locales. Enter Ed Greenwood and the Forgotten Realms. With a new fantasy setting firmly based on the core of D&D, TSR thought that they had a winner. They decided to bank on the same strategy that had worked for Dragonlance, tie-in novels. Greenwood was already working on several stories featuring this guy called Elminster, but TSR figured more was better. They saw Salvatore's manuscript and basically said, Hey, your novel is great. Burn that. Here's notes on the Forgotten Realms. Tell us a story. Salvatore, being a semi-starving author, didn't even blink and had his first Forgotten Realms novel, The Crystal Shard, penned by early the next year. According to Salvatore, the creation of Dritzt was actually an accident. Quote, Mary Kirkhoff, then managing editor of TSR's book department, called him. She was on her way to a marketing meeting concerning the book and informed him that they could not use one of the characters. He asked for time to think, but she was already late for the meeting. Off the top of his head, Salvador said he had a dark elf. Kirkhoff was skeptical, but Salvatore convinced her it would be fine because he was just a sidekick. She asked his name, and he replied, Dritz Doerden. She asked if he could spell it, and he said, not a chance. The Crystal Shard was published shortly thereafter. The main character of the book was theoretically supposed to be Bruinor Battlehammer, the Dwarf King, but fans latched onto Dritz. 
With first edition being the only one published, all the players and fans were firmly set on the idea that drow were evil. The motivations and story behind this atypical drow became a lot more interesting than another clan-obsessed dwarf, human barbarian from snowy lands, halfling fighter, or even the female wizard. After the first three books with Dritzt, called the Icewind Dale trilogy, the character's popularity had skyrocketed, so Salvatore was asked to write a trilogy focusing on the drow's story. The Dark Elf trilogy telling Dritz's origin story was then published from 1990 to 1991. After the publication of the last book in that trilogy, Salvatore's next announced Forgotten Realms books were focused on completely different stories and new characters. When asked, Salvatore was quoted as saying, After six books, I think we're probably done with Dritz. TSR disagreed. Even though they commissioned Salvatore to write five Forgotten Realms books that told other stories, the outcry from the fans after Salvatore's next book had nothing to do with Dritzt was enough to convince them to commission more. The sequel quartet, Legacy of the Drow, was released from 1992 through 1996, even though Salvatore was still writing his other quintet of books. After the last book in that group was published, TSR did not ask Salvatore for any more novels and contracted a totally different author to write new Dritzt stories. Rumors abound about the reason. Some think Salvatore was getting tired of writing Dritz novels, others think TSR wanted to introduce a new voice for the character, and still others believe TSR, in serious financial trouble by that point, just couldn't afford Salvatore anymore. However, before the course of the Drow's history could be changed, Wizards of the Coast bought TSR. Their marketing people looked at TSR's publication plan and said, I'm sorry, you're selling truckloads of novels featuring your most successful character ever, and you decide the best thing to do is fire the author. Wizards of the Coast then published Salvatore's next Dritz trilogy beginning in 1998. Since then, almost all of Salvatore's writing in the Forgotten Realms has focused on Dritz or characters immediately adjacent to him. He's published a book on average once every eight months or so up to the present day. Despite his popularity within D&D, Dritz has not shown up often in the actual game. Dritz's only book credit is a second edition adventure called The Accursed Tower, published in 1999. He was given stats in third and fourth editions, but usually as a throwaway feature article in Dragon Magazine or somewhere similar. Chris Perkins played a version of Dritz for a fifth edition game in 2016, but admitted the character sheet was not official and the level and abilities did not actually reflect Dritz's abilities as described in the fiction. Alright, who are we doing in here? We were just about to start talking about Dritz's history. Are you kidding me? Do you know what my time is worth? I should- You should shut up and let us read. Sorry, moving on? We're going to change our usual formula a bit and start with the character's history before reviewing his abilities. The reason is that Dritz's abilities and gear have changed quite a bit over the course of his story. Dritz was born roughly 195 years prior to the Forgotten Realm's current day. His parents lived in the underdark drow city of Menzoberenzen, where his mother was the head of House Doerden, named Malice, and his father was the weapons master, Zaknafin. Because of the rigidly matriarchal structure of drow culture in Menzoberenzen, Dritz was mostly ignored by his mother and sisters, and he got almost all of his nurturing from his father, who secretly was a little more empathetic and merciful than the average drow. He petitioned for Dritz to be trained as a warrior, rather than a wizard, because of Dritz's preternatural reflexes. Dritz enrolled in the Warrior Academy, where one of his trainers, a friend of his father's, gifted him an idol that summoned the mystical panther Guinevar. It only took a year before he was outfighting every student in the school. He was nominated for early graduation. 
but this was a Lolf-themed graduation. The ceremony included him having relations with his sister, Vierna. He refused and would have been put to death, except that his mother intervened, though warned him that he was on notice. Assigned to regular patrols now, Dritz started on his rebellious path when his group was assigned to raid an elf village. Dritz stayed on the outskirts and didn't actually participate in the raid, but on the sweep through, he found a small elf child whose parents were killed. Rather than finishing off the child, he hid her. His father confronted him angrily, but Zacnafine was actually angry because he thought Dritz had killed the child. Dritz explained his deception, and his father promised to cover for his son. The deception by Dritzt and his father caused House Doerden to fall out of favor with Lolf. Malice ordered that Dritzt be sacrificed to appease the spider goddess, but his father helped Dritzt slip out of the city and instead took his place as a sacrifice. Malice is informed that Dritzt has to die for the Doerden house to regain favor. She sends out hunting parties. She also hires members of Bregan Darth, a mercenary group led by exiled drow Jarlaxle. They fail to find Dritzt. Desperate, Malice uses her connection to Lolth to reanimate Zacnafane's body, essentially turning him into the undead drow version of the Terminator. Zacnafane hunts Dritz down in the Underdark, but a blip in magic allows Zacnafane's original personality to briefly reassert dominance. I hate it when that happens. Yeah, well, it's not always a picnic for me either, you know. Ladies, ladies, if I can go on. Zacnafane maintains control long enough to fling his body into a pool of acid. Loth decides that was Malice's last chance. She tells the other drow houses in Menzo Baranzin that House de Werden is anathema and should be purged. The other houses descend and the only survivors are Dritz's sister Vienna and their brother Dinin, both of whom are taken in by a former rival house. Dritz, meanwhile, makes his way to the surface. He's literally never been there other than the one raid, so the first group of creatures he encounters, and befriends, are gnolls. However, he spends a very short amount of time listening to them plan a raid on a human settlement before figuring out, hey, these guys are kind of jerks. He then kills them all. He tries to head into the settlement but is immediately met with fear or hostility, so he flees into the woods. Lacking any other purpose, he tries to help a family on the outskirts in secret. Unfortunately, the evil fae that was directing the Nulls wants revenge. At the same time, a greedy bounty hunter named Roddy McGrissel convinces the people in town that the drow they saw needs to be hunted down and killed. They offer him a bounty if he does this. His hunting dogs find Dritz, but Dritz is forced to kill one of them in self-defense and also wounds McGrissel. While that's happening, the evil fae shapeshifts into a drow and very obviously and blatantly kills the family that Dritz had been helped. The town calls in a priest of Mistara, who comes with some elf hunters, to deal with the issue. Her investigation reveals that Dritz is innocent, but he's already gone, and McGrissel doesn't care whether Dritz is guilty or not anymore. One of the elves in the party feels for Dritz's plight and breaks off to search for and warn him. Dritz, meanwhile, has fled from the town and runs into the older ranger Montolio de Bruschi. Debrushi takes pity on Dritz and teaches Dritz about survival on the surface, skills as a ranger, and also about recognizing and revering the tenets of Meliki, god of the forests. Unfortunately, the evil fae has hooked up with McGrissel and both of them send a band of orcs after Dritz. Despite the help and warning of the elf, the orcs hunt down and kill the elf and Montolio, leaving Dritz on his own again. 
Dritt's next hiding spot is with a group of monks, but he senses his hunters are closing in again and leaves. When they miss Dritz again, McGristle gets fed up with his fate partner and bashes him to death in a bag. Dritz makes it to Icewind Dale. They aren't big fans of him either, but when he doesn't immediately start trying to kill or kidnap people, they at least hear him out. They don't want him anywhere in the city, but they tell him to head for the borders of land claimed by Dwarf Clan Battlehammer. Dritz heads up there and runs into a nice young woman named Caddy Bree, adopted daughter of King Bruinor. Bruinor is... not thrilled. However, when McGristle shows up and figures out Dritz is talking to Caddybree on the regular, he holds her hostage. Dritz manages to rescue Caddy and knock McGristle out. Bruinor banishes the bounty hunter and decides Dritz is at least okay. Fast forward a few years, and Dritz is a trusted helper to King Bruinor. Working with the halfling fighter Regis, the two of them scout out a pending invasion by northern barbarians. Forewarned, the clan gears up for battle along with the defenders from Icewind Dale. The barbarians are turned back without much trouble, except for a brief thing where Brunor has to remind the Icewind Dale people that Dritzt is on their side. They also wind up with a captive, Wolfgar. Meanwhile, a wizard named Akar Kessel finds a magic crystal called Krishinabon, which has powers of mind control over living and undead creatures. Jump ahead five years and Wolfgar is integrated into the clan, although technically is still in servitude to Brunor. Dritz has been training him to fight. As a test of skills, they both hunt down a white dragon named Ingiloa Castamazillion, more commonly called Icing Death. They defeat the dragon, and in his horde, Dritz finds a cold-imbued scimitar, which he names after the defeated dragon. Akar, in the meantime, has increased his power and summoned the demon Urtu to assist in his plans for domination. With mind-controlled minions and the demon, Akar attacks the clan. Driz challenges Urtu to a duel while the clan fights off everybody else. Dritzt is victorious, and the magic of icing death banishes Urtu, robbed of his demon ally. Akar flees up a snowy mountain, pursued by Dritzt. He then makes the genius decision to use fire magic and dies in the resulting avalanche. In the aftermath of the battle, and the difficulty defending the clan territory, Bruna says that they need to find a stronghold called the Mithril Hall. He takes Dritzt and Regis tags along, which seems odd to both of the others since the halfling isn't a fan of caves. It turns out Regis wants to be scarce because he stole a magic gem from a foreign leader named Pasha Puk. Puk, wanting the gem back, sends his prime assassin, one Artemis Entreri. Entreri tracks Regis to the clan, but after Regis left. He interrogates Caddy Bree, who can't hold out and tells him where Regis, Brunor, and Dritz went. He takes her along as a captive. Meanwhile, the three adventurers arrive at the elf settlement of Silvery Moon and make the acquaintance of its leader, Lady Illustriel, who is fascinated by Dritzt. With help from her, the three find the Mithril Hall. Unfortunately, that's also when and where Entreri catches up with them. Cadibri escapes from Entreri, but he gets into a duel with Dritzt, where Dritzt is surprised to find himself evenly matched. Neither of them gain the upper hand, and their fight is only stopped when they fall into a ravine and get trapped. The two briefly put aside their differences in the name of getting out alive, and run into some angry Durgar in the process. The rest of the companions also find these Durgar, and a shadow dragon besides. Losing the fight, Bruinor collapses a tunnel to crush their enemies and allow everyone else to escape. They assume he's dead, but he actually just fell into deeper tunnels under the Mithril Hall, and manages to fight his way out and back to them. In the ensuing confusion, however, Entreri grabs Regis. Bruinor, Dritzt, and Cadibri head back to Silvery Moon, where Lady Illustriel heals Bruinor and tells them how to follow Entreri. 
She also advises they go past the home of a human wizarding family, the Harples. They hand out some toys to the group, including an enchanted scimitar, when Dritzt mentions his troubles fighting in Treary. The scimitar is called Twinkle. Really? Elves made it. Right. Of course. Pashapook's hometown is across a lot of water. At the recommendation of their friends, the three book passage with one Captain Dudermont on his ship, the Sea Sprite. They find Pashapook, Free Regis, and other than a brief delay where they're banished to the plain of Tartarus and Dritz has to rescue Catibri from demons, everything works out fine. During the course of the chase after Regis, Dritz realizes he's getting a little sweet on Catibri, but given that he's going to live for multiple centuries and she's got 80, 90 years at best, he decides to bury those feelings. He spends a lot of the next few years in Silvery Moon talking with Lady Illustriel about his drow heritage and other topics. He also apparently lived in her house for a time, but there's no official word on how intense their discussions got. In the meantime, the Battlehammer clan has moved into Mithril Hall, and Dritzt returns there for the wedding of Wolfgar and Cadibri. Dritzt is actually fine with this, so he's a bit confused when he arrives and Wolfgar basically tries to kill him. To keep tensions low before the wedding, Bruinor asks Dritz to check out a scouting party that's disappeared. Regis volunteers to go along. That confuses Dritz until they find that the scouting party were obviously killed by Drow, and Regis reveals himself to be Artemis and Treary in disguise. He surprises and captures Dritz. See, what no one knew until then was that back in Menzo Baranzin, Dritz's older sister Vienna is taking after her mother and assumes that if she can capture and sacrifice her wayward brother, she'll be back in Loth's favour. Because he's the only other drow that knows about the surface, Vierna goes to Jarlaxel for help. He is the one who hired Entrary for her, though only after she proved her commitment to the plan by turning her only other living brother into a drider. Back at Mithra Hall, Dritz's friends figure out that Entrary, as Regis, had put some mojo on them to ensure that Dritz was sent into the wilderness. They race off to rescue him and manage to free him from Entrary just as Vienna, Jarlaxel, and all their friends show up to take custody. A huge fight in an underdark tunnel ensues, and Vienna ups the ante by summoning a demon from Loth's domain. Dritzt manages to kill his sister, but that doesn't slow the demon down at all. The party escapes, but only after Wolfgar collapses a tunnel on himself and the demon. After regrouping briefly at Mithril Hall, Dritz believes the drow in Menzo Baranzen will not give up the idea that killing him will get them in good with Lolf, so he decides to go down there alone. He only tells Regis where he's going and makes him promise not to tell him. Distraught at her fiancé's death and the sudden disappearance of Dritz, Catty Bree asks around. After rigorously interrogating Regis for all of about two minutes, he spills the beans about where Dritz went. Caddy Bree swings by Silvery Moon and tells Lady Illustrial that Dritzt is doing something stupid, could she please help? The Lady agrees to help Caddy Bree get to the Underdark. Dritzt and Caddy Bree both make it to Menzo Berenzen eventually. Dritzt is able to briefly disguise himself as a member of the premier house in the city, but he's eventually found out and captured. Caddy Bree, on the other hand, is captured by Jarlaxle almost immediately. In Jarlaxle's prison areas, Caddy finds... Artemis and Treary. Jarlaxle was apparently annoyed at him for not capturing Dritz. Between the two of them, they escape and take some magical goodies, and then go interrupt a ceremony where Dritz was going to be sacrificed to Lolth. Dritz then proceeds to fight and defeat the Drow House's weapon master and take his magical bracers. Caddy Bree settles for taking the evil sentient sword the Drow had been using. That definitely doesn't cause any problems down the line for anyone. I'm 
sensing some prejudice against cursed items. They're cursed items. Well, that's a very intolerant attitude. Just because something's cursed doesn't mean it's bad. I know. Like, just... Ugh, just... whatever. Hmm. Hmm. Shortly after their escape, magic goes haywire due to someone messing with the fundamental definition of it, and lots of gods dying. Side note, this was called the Time of Troubles, and was TSR's in-lore explanation for the changes that occurred in the game when 2nd Edition was released. The lore explanations came out a few years after the rules released, however. A lot of Menzoberranzan runs on magic, so when the magic blips, it causes a catastrophic mess. At the same time, the blip renders Cadibri vulnerable to the influence of that sentient sword she took. So Dritz has to carefully defend himself and not kill her until he can take the dangerous toy away. That confrontation forces the two of them to discuss how Dritz and Caddy feel about each other. The conversation finishes with Dritz unwaveringly and totally in the friend zone. The drow are convinced the whole mess happened because of Dritz and start prepping to attack him and his friends. The matron mother of the leading house is going to lead the attack personally, sure that when she defeats Dritz, Lolth will grant her unimaginable power. Lolth smiles and nods and appoints a demonic advisor to help the woman out. The advisor is the demon Urtu. The drow mount their attack, but the dwarves and some allies hold out until the drow are completely thrown off because they forgot that the sun was a thing. With their offensive falling apart, the matron mother goes to Urtu for help. Urtu, however, kills the drow woman because that was what Lolth wanted him to do all along. As a reward, Lolth gifts Urtu with a soul she says is the key to his revenge on Dritz. Six years later, Dritz and Catibri, still very much friends, have left Mithril Hall and joined Captain Dudamont on the Sea Sprite, where they hunt pirates. Urtu disguises himself as the captain to try to trick them into visiting a mysterious island, Cowich. There, they discover the demon's duplicity, but decide to grab some old friends and go to the island anyway, because something must be going on. They're right. Urtu gathered a bunch of people to attack Dritz because he also convinced a patsy to retrieve Crenshinabon, the crystal shard of mind control. Digging it out is presumably what took the six years. Shortly after arrival, Regis manages to sneak through the battle and trap the crystal shard in an enchanted box. With all the forces meant to kill Dritz and friends suddenly going, what are we doing here? It's a relatively simple matter for Dritz to banish Urtu again and free the soul that he was gifted. That soul turns out to be Wolfgar. See, when the tunnel collapsed on him, the demon he was fighting gave him a big hug and teleported both of them to the abyss. He'd been hanging out with Lolth and Urtu ever since, so he's in great shape. Dritz and the companions, less Bruinor because he's running his kingdom, spend time trying to figure out how to destroy the mind control shard, while Wolfgar tries to cope with the trauma of his experiences in the abyss. His recovery is sabotaged when the hammer given to him by Bruinor is stolen. The one who stole it is an elf named Lelorinal, who works with a vicious band of pirates and is known for fighting with two scimitars. Dritz suspects he's being called out a little bit, so they hunt the elf down. When they confront Lelorinal, he reveals he's actually a she. The elf woman is Elephane, the elf child Dritz refused to kill in his first raid. She blames him for killing her parents and attacks him. She is no match for Dritz, but he is racked with guilt and refuses to kill her. That leads to a stumbling, awkward fight as Dritz tries to explain the reality of the situation to her. They both end up mortally wounded, and despite Dritz's protests, his friends save him and allow Elephane to die. 
A year or so later, Dritzt and the companions are all back in Mithril Hall when an orc named Obald, head of the Many Arrows tribe, gets it into his head that the orcs should make something of themselves. He gathers a large horde and attacks a settlement called the Shallows because let's go kill things is a campaign slogan most orcs can get behind. Dritzt separates himself from the rest of the companions to go over the settlement wall and sow confusion among the orcs. That puts him in a position to see when the tower that all his friends are in, and Bruinor is fighting on top of, collapses. With all of his friends dead after the battle, Dritzt goes full predator on the orcs. He hides in the woods and mountains, stalking them and indiscriminately murdering every group of orcs he comes across. He also forgoes his usual scimitars and uses the sentient murder sword Cadibri took from the drow, which just does wonders for his mood. Meanwhile, his companions are not dead, the dwarf on the tower was only borrowing Bruinor's helmet, and are trying to convince a bunch of neutral dwarven clans to maybe help stop the orc horde. At the same time, an orc shaman blesses Obald and declares he's a god. During Dritz's travels, he meets up with two Pegasus-riding elves who were at the battle. They say they are in the area looking for information about Elephane. Rather than deal with that mountain of awkward, Dritz decides to hunt down Obald. He fights him directly twice. He loses once when the sentient sword gets stuck in Obald's armor and he can't recover. His second duel is interrupted because one of his elf companions gets killed and the other gets dismounted, with Obald capturing her pegasus. Obald's blessing as a god is actually making him less eager for endless war, but the dwarves have to be convinced to stop as well, so they attack Mithril Hall. Dritz and his remaining elf companion use the opportunity to free the captured pegasus and go join the fight. At Mithril Hall, Dritz discovers everyone's alive and Obald and Bruno's forces fight to a standstill. The two leaders agree to a ceasefire and establish the borders of a new orc country. Catty and Dritz, overcome after finding out that neither of them are actually as dead as the other one thought, decide that the friend zone is just stupid and they get married. A short time after, Bruinor gets it into his head that he needs to find his clan's ancestral home of Gontelgrim. Dritz goes with him to help. Caddy, on the other hand, needs to help Wolfgar, whose adoptive daughter was kidnapped. Meanwhile in Orc Country, it's revealed a gnome wizard is backing the shamans who originally encouraged Obold. They're annoyed with Obold's new pacifistic streak. They find and kill the elf with the pegasus Dritzt had worked with during the war. One of her friends finds Dritzt and Brunor as they're searching and asks for help in capturing a drow advisor to Obold, who incidentally now has the sentient sword Dritzt lost. The drow in question kind of gets lost in the shuffle when the orc shaman faction attacks Silvery Moon. Caddy Bree and Lady Illustrial are there, Wolfgar had gone home after they found his daughter. Obold's orcs also show up to defend Silvery Moon against the other orcs. Dritz and Brunor fight their way to where Obold is in dire straits. Bruinor decides to help the orc leader. Dritz approves, and then goes and hunts down all the evil orc shamans and terminates them. The ceasefire from before the war is upgraded to a treaty establishing the orc country. Lady Illustrial also agrees to power level Caddy Bree as a wizard. Everything seems hunky-dory, but then, as it did with so many things, the spell plague hit and messed everything up. The massive flux in magical energy awakens sentience in Krenshenaban, the crystal shard of mind control. The shard reanimates a dead illithid. Both of them wander off and find a very stupid red dragon. All three merge together and become an undead Dracolich monstrosity known as the Ghost King. Because of reasons we won't get into here, the creature really wants Jarlaxle dead. Meanwhile, Caddy's power leveling as a wizard means she had become powerful enough to be totally curb stomped by the spell plague. Her spirit ends up trapped between the Shadowfell and the Feywild, 
while her body is still on Toril. Regis tries to use his magic gem to fix her, and ends up having his soul ripped out of his body and trapped in the Shadowfell, killing him. Bruinor and Dritzt are at a loss until Jarlaxle shows up. He wants their help against the Ghost King, and recommends they all go see an uber-cleric named Catterly at a place called Spirit Soaring for that problem and the issue with Catibri. They arrive, and find Spirit Soaring under attack by the Ghost King and a massive army of undead. Now, ordinarily, undead attacking a cleric monastery would be stupidly one-sided, but with all the magic out of whack and several gods MIA because of the spell plague, the clerics can't muster up their usual amount of mojo. Deciding to get to the heart of the matter, Dritz and the others attack the Ghost King directly. They kill him, whereupon he reforms in the Shadowfell, pretty much instantly heals back to full HP, and then comes right on back to spirit soaring. Cadley tells him their only chance is intercepting the Ghost King in the Shadowfell. Their only link to the Shadowfell is Catty Bree. Cadley can use her body's connection to her spirit to get there, but Catty won't survive the process. Dritz gives the go-ahead, and Cadley successfully stops the Ghost King. Because of his service to her over the years, the goddess Miliki grants Dritz and Catty Bree one last night together before taking her spirit and Regis's. She puts them in a paradise pocket dimension named Aruladun. Oh, I am so regretting this right now. Can we skip ahead, please? Yes. Look, I'm not... Wait, really? Well, sort of. Look, kidneys. Salvatore's stories start jumping around a lot at this point. First, he jumps ahead 24 years. Dritzt and Bruinor are basically going through the motions. Bruinor is still desperate to find Gauntelgrim, while Dritzt is hung up on Cadibri's death. He's been spending a lot of time with the Elves of Silvery Moon. Again, no word one way or the other on how Lady Illustrial is involved here. And in addition to Guinevar, he's now able to summon a unicorn. However, the unicorn is a lot lower CR than the panther, so he doesn't use it that much. He goes to visit Bruinor, and Bruinor decides to finally get off his ass. He fakes his own death, scaring the hell out of his loyal steward, Quent, and he and Dritz set off. They continue their search for 45 years and get nowhere. Enter Dahlia Sinfell. She is an elf shacked up with a vampire and working for the Red Wizards of Thay. Her boss, Silora, wants her to establish a Dread Ring near Neverwinter. A Dread Ring is essentially a magical factory that churns out undead. Dahlia agrees, kills her vampire lover, because that's how she ended her last 25 relationships, and sets off. Dritzt and Bruinor go back to the dwarves because everyone else they had been traveling with is either too old or too dead to go on. Dahlia arrives in Luskin looking for info. Consulting with the Lich, the Lich tells her she needs to find Gontelgrim, but she'll need a dwarf to get in. She calls up Jarlaxle, who is a major figure in Luskin by then. At the same time, a tiefling named Herzgo is in charge of a mercenary group known as the Shadowvar. They have a connection to the Shadowfell, and Herzgo really hates red wizards. He hears about Dahlia being in the area and sends his premier assassin, Barabbas, after her to get info. Dritz's party and Dahlia's all find and infiltrate Gontelgram and fight. Silora, Dahlia's boss, also shows up with the vampire she thought she killed because she didn't trust Dahlia. The evil side hypnotizes Quint, who had joined Dritz and Bruner's party, and gets him to reactivate the Forge of Gontelgram. The forge in question is powered by a fire primordial. The safeguards the dwarves had to keep the fire primordial under control are not there anymore. This causes what geologists call a volcanic eruption. 
Most of it lands on part of Neverwinter. Zylora considers the whole endeavor a mess and demands fealty from Dahlia on pain of death. Dahlia agrees and promises to finish the Dreadring. Eleven years pass. The people around Neverwinter and other settlements are in an ongoing war with the Fae and their local proxies. Herzgo and his Shadowvar are keeping an eye on things, resulting in Dahlia and Barabbas the Assassin fighting a few times. Dahlia has finished the Dread Ring, boosting the power of the Fey forces, and now they want to try and harness the power of the Primordial in Gauntelgrim. The Ghost Dwarves, who were in Gauntelgrim, project themselves into the Mithril Hall and tell Bruna, Hey, um, Red Wizards, yo. Two other Dwarf Kings fake their own deaths to join them on the quest for Gauntelgrim. Jarlaxle and Dahlia meet because neither wants Sylora to have the power of the Primordial. They find and agree to help Dritz and Bruna gain control of Gauntelgrim. Barabbas is able to spy on all of this, but has a bit of a traumatic meltdown when he sees Dritz. The party makes its way into Gauntelgrim, where the unchecked Primordial has invited a whole bunch of salamanders and a good amount of red dragons over for a barbecue. The group fights its way past all of that, and Brunor is able to sit on the throne of Gauntelgrim, granting him mystical power and cluing him in on how to contain the Primordial, which basically involves a Zelda-like puzzle of activate these magical doohickeys that have been scattered around. Dritz and company work on that, while the dwarves try to hold back all of the fire creatures. And because there weren't enough people at this party, Sylora shows up with a pit fiend. The Pit Fiend is taken out by Barabbas of all people, and Bruinor manages to use his last breath to seal the Primordial in the forge. Sylora retreats. Dahlia wants to go after her, and Dritzt, who probably hasn't gotten any for almost a century and has no living friends left, decides to follow her. Sylora gets some new mojo from the other Red Wizards and is ordered to take over Neverwinter. Meanwhile, Herzgo and his Shadowvar move in and offer protection for the city. Dahlia and Dritz are wandering around looking for Sylora, all the while arguing about morality, with Dahlia trying to convince Dritz that Grey is a thing in the real world. After going back and forth on the subject for weeks, they ultimately come to the conclusion that they should have sex. Sylora continues to attack Neverwinter with Barabbas, then Herzgo leading a successful defense. She also sends a devil to hunt down Dahlia. Thinking he can one-up his opposite number, Herzgo sends Barabbas after Dahlia and Dritzt. Barabbas shows up and Dritzt recognizes him instantly. He's Artemis Entreri. Now, Entreri is human, so he should have been dead a long time ago. They table that discussion when Entreri tells them about Sylora and the attacks on Neverwinter. He also knows where she is. The three of them together represent possibly the greatest physical combatants on Faerun at the time, so they absolutely mow through Sylora's forces. Sylora tries to regroup, but ends up being killed by one of her lieutenants. That problem solved, Entreri tells Dritzt and Dahlia that Herzgo has an enchanted sword bound to his soul that keeps him from dying. That sends Dahlia into a rage because she has a history with Herzgo, namely the first 20 to 30 years of her life where he held her prisoner and forced her to sire his child. She killed the kid, but is still a bit bitter. The three of them set off to do something about it. They hunt down Herzgo, and he flees into the Shadowfell. Dritz sends Guinevar after him, but both of them are trapped by a warlock stuck in the Shadowfell named Drago Quick. Still, Herzgo dropped the sword, so they decide to take it to the forge in Gontelgrim to destroy it. An agent of Drago meets with them and offers to return the panther for the sword, but Dritz tells him to go away. In Gontelgrim, they find Drow, Drow everywhere. 
Also, Drago leveraged his captivity of Herzgo to get the Shadowvar to work for him, and they want the sword. Fights ensue. They get some unexpected help from a dwarf cleric named Ambergris. She nominally worked for the Shadowvar, but when she saw that they had no reverence for Gontelgrim and that Dritzt worked for Brunor, she decided to switch sides with her lover, Afafrenfir. Dritz manages to get to the forge and taps into some of the Primordial's power to summon Herzgo from the Shadowfell. Disoriented, Dahlia kills him. That's when one of the Shadowvar starts screaming and crying. The Shadowvar is a tiefling named Ephron, and Dahlia thought she'd killed him a long time ago as well, right as he was born in fact, because he's her child. With a moment of peace, Dritz faces Entreri and they reminisce about their lives and their mutual respect. Dritz then drops the sword keeping him alive into the forge, the sword melts, the enchantment is lifted, and Entreri is… perfectly fine. After the awkward pause, Dritz and company flee. Ephron wants revenge on Dahlia for killing his dad, while the commander of the drow forces, named Tiago, goes back to that old refrain that him killing Dritz will make him the greatest drow ever and that love will love him yada yada yada. Dritz, meanwhile, somehow gets Guinevar back, but the panther isn't recovering from wounds when unsummoned. Also, Ephron finally catches up to them, but he's alone, and when he tries to get violent, it's immediately obvious everyone there is a much better fighter than he is. He calms down and explains that Guinevar is linked to the Shadowfell rather than the Astral Sea like she's supposed to be. They all take a trip to the Shadowfell to fix that, where they are promptly captured by Drago Quick, with Ambergris the only one to escape. Ambergris goes to Jarlaxle for help. Adventures ensue for a year, but they are all freed from the Shadowfell. Dritz, during his year of captivity, did a lot of introspection and wants to find Aruladun and Cadibri's spirit. The group returns to Icewind Dale and begins searching. They are actually partially successful, but they don't realize it and fall asleep at the edge of the demi-plane where it intersected with the material plane. They wake up after 18 years have passed. Most people consider this a chance at a fresh start, but Dritz pulls Dahlia aside and says he can't stay with her because he's realized he never stopped loving Caddy Bree. Dahlia, devastated, attacks Dritz, hoping he will kill her. He refuses to do so, and when she forces the matter, he allows her to mortally wound him. The rest of their friends pull her away as Dritz runs off. Dying, he sees the faces of all his old companions. Oh, thank goodness. So... As I was saying... Uh, there's actually still a lot more notes here. But that's all the wrap-up stuff and inane musings the organ donor does. Right? Right? The reason he sees all his friends is not because he's crossing over to the other side. Oh, come on! It's because the goddess Meliki allowed them to help Dritzt. However, the only way she could do it was by reincarnating them, the old-fashioned way. Each of them was born as new people, but around puberty their old identities reasserted themselves and they had the knowledge of where Dritz would be after his fight with Dahlia. All four of them, Brunar, Wolfgar, Regis, and Caddy Bree, make the reunion and heal Dritz. As a first adventure back, all of them decide to head to Gontelgrim and help Brunor's old steward Puent, who was unfortunately turned into a vampire after the first mess with the volcano. They arrive, but can't do much to help him. However, he tells them about new rumblings in Menzo Berenzen. It seems a new matron mother, Quenthel, is on the let's kill Dritz and get Loth's favor train. She volunteers Jarlaxle to help her and gets Loth to bring in Urtu as a subject matter expert on Dritz. 
At Jarlaxle's recommendation, the drow attack a town called Port Last, which is where Dritt's new-slash-old companions had gone after his quote-unquote death. Everyone is captured, except Efron. Efron goes to Jarlaxle. Jarlaxle manages to convince Quinthel to release Ambergris and her lover into his custody, but it's a no-go on Dahlia. Intreri escapes on his own. Quinthel contacts the Clan of Many Arrows. After the death of the original Obald, his descendants weren't as level-headed. They basically just needed a tiny push to revert to form, and the drow gave it to them. The orcs are hunting for Dritzt. Intreri tells Dritzt about his friend's capture. They head for the forge in Gontelgrim, where the drow are based. That's when Dahlia shows up. She is mind-controlled by Lulf's magic and immediately starts fighting Cadibri. Dritzt, out of self-preservation, stays out of it. Okay, actually, he's off in a different part of Gontelgrim rescuing Ambergris. Caddy beats Dahlia, and the drow retreat. Dritzt and company want to go find a cure for Quint. Intreri stays to hunt drow because he's got sweet on Dahlia over the years and wants revenge. Meanwhile, the drow successfully cast a spell that turns off the sun over the Silver Marches. They then sally forth with their orc allies and new friends, the Frost Giants, and a few white dragons. Tiago is the leading general. Jarlaxel hears that Dritz got the old band back together and gathers some people to help since he's not really feeling it with Quenthal anymore. Everyone associated with Dritz who isn't mind-controlled or dead holds up in the Mithril Hall. Tiago and his forces lay siege to it and several other dwarf kingdoms over the winter. Jarlaxel uses his wily ways to get word to Silvery Moon and the elves about the drow magic whilst Dritz mounts an offensive. Riding one of the copper dragons that Jarlaxle convinced to help Dritz's case, he engages Tiago in the air. The fight is inconclusive because the sun comes back on and the drow and their forces have to retreat. After the news about his defeat hits Menzo Branzen, Quenthor decides that Loth still doesn't love him enough and what Menzo Branzen actually needs is more demons. This policy is not one of her more popular ones. Meanwhile, Bruno wants to go reclaim Gauntelgrim because obsession is not just something from Calvin Klein. Everyone's on board except Wolfgar and Regis who actually built lives with their new identities and kind of want to go back to them. The dwarves have a tough go of it in Gauntelgrim because of how many demons the drow now have with them. Fortunately for them, Dritz shows up and Jarlaxle uses some tricks of his to give him a massive psionic power-up. That allows him to lead the doors to victory, and Cadibri uses her magic to seal the route between Menzo Berenzen and Gontelgrim. The reason Jarlaxle helped Dritzt is because he and Intreri have figured out Dahlia is still alive and being held by the drow. Also, she has been brainwashed by Quenthal and installed as the matron mother of a new House Doerden, because, again, she thinks that will get her in good with Lulth. However, the reason Jarlaxle has the info is because of a new power in Menzo Berenzen, Yvonne. She is the result of some really messed up magic and rituals that give her the power and knowledge of her mother instantly upon birth. Quiet Dune fans. She then repeatedly cast a spell with the side effect of aging her one year, meaning she grew to be a woman in the space of a few days. She wants to lure Dritz to Menzo Berenzen because they have a slight problem. See? The most powerful male wizard in Menzo Baranzen wanted to tap into the portal Quinthal used to bring all the demons to the city. He did it wrong. The result was that he summoned Demogorgon right into the middle of the city. Demogorgon moved on, but is still in the area. Anyway, her ruse worked, and Dritzt, Entreri, and Jarlaxle head for Menzo Baranzen. Ivanal has been scrying them, and just as Dritzt gets to the Underdark, she hits him with a spell. 
The spell draws on the Underdark radiation that Fares rests and grows more powerful. The spell tries to convince Dritzt that everything he's experienced since his near-death has been a hallucination, and his friends aren't actually the people he thinks they are. She then arranges for them to be captured along with Dahlia almost as soon as they get to the city. Evenel tosses Dritzt into an arena where he's forced to fight Triago, the shamed general from the campaign. Dritzt wins, and Evenel says that the contest was a test. She then asks Dritzt to be Lolth's champion against Demogorgon. He agrees, only to stop the Demon Lord. With Evenel channeling her power through him, coming indirectly from Lolth, he is able to defeat and banish the Demon Lord. Evenel offers to free his friends if he becomes King of the Drow, but he refuses. She offers to let all of his friends go, except one that he will have to choose as a sacrifice, but he calls her bluff. She lets them all go. However, she's still playing around. She's become a bit infatuated with Dritz by this point, and wanted him to be king so that she could have him for herself. She lets him go, believing the spell that she cast will continue to fester, and he'll eventually kill his friends out of mad paranoia. She also puts an extra zing on the spell as he's leaving, so when he sees Catty Bree, he'll firmly believe she is a demon impersonating her. They all return to Gauntlegrim and deprogram Dahlia through magic, whereupon Dritz turns and attacks Catty Bree. He doesn't kill her, however, because of his perpetual hang-up on killing people with faces of women he loves. Through Jarlaxle, they contact a renegade drow wizard named Gromph to help with Dritz's condition. Grumpf is stumped, and says that they need to take him to the Monastery of the Yellow Rose. When they get to the Monastery, they find the Grand Master Monk Kane and Ivanel. Apparently, she's become bored with all the politics and scheming in Menzo Berenzen, and finds Dritzt much more fascinating. She reverses the curse on Dritzt, trying out this right-thing-to-do idea. Then they get distracted because they need to help Wolfgar who has somehow gotten involved with a mess that involves the actual Queen of Succubi, Malkintheth. The whole crew heads over to deal with that. Most of the work is actually done by Evenel, who first distracts Malkintheth with an illusion of the Demon Lord Gratz so they can free Wolfgar from her magical prison, then literally summons Lolth to step in. Lolth tells the Succubus Queen to beat it, and then talks to Dritzt. She offers him the resurrection of his father if he pledges himself to her. Dritz tells her to get bent. She laughs at him, and then leaves. Returning home, Dritz declares he wants to start training with Cain to learn the skills of a monk and be an even better fighter. Also, Cadibri is pregnant. Dritz spends several months training with Cain while Cadibri's pregnant. Evenel is still around the whole time, hitting on Dritz like it's a contact sport. Then she drops a bombshell on them. Dritz's father is back. No one is sure why or how Zaknafine was resurrected, but the initial reunion is not as smooth as anyone would like. Zaknafine was very tolerant and merciful for a drow, but that's sort of like saying someone is a nice guy for a member of the Taliban. His attitude about the surface and the other races are less than tolerant, and he almost loses his mind at the news that Dritzt is going to have a child. With a human. This leads to Dritzt and his father coming to blows quite a few times, as well as endless arguments. Zaknafine eventually leaves to go hang out with Darlaxel, who was his buddy from way back when. Unfortunately, they run afoul of the drow led by Quinthel, who is about to start her ultimate push for drow supremacy in favor of Lolth. Word of the invasion is trickling up through various means. Ambergris is killed while gathering information about it, and eventually Jarlaxel and Zaknafine find themselves in a tough spot, cornered by a bunch of demons. Dritzt rushes in to save the day, but even he can't hold off the swarming tide of demons. Jarlaxle and Zaknafane escape, but Dritzt fools. 
This causes shockwaves amongst his friends, and his father is devastated. At that point, Evanel reveals that she was the one to resurrect Zachnafane, as she thought it was something Dritz wanted since Lolf offered it to him. Kane and Catibri are suspiciously quiet. Meanwhile, Gwenthal's invasion marches forward, with Jarlaxor and Zachnafane at the head of the opposition forces. The ratio of drow to demons in Quenthel's army is skewed heavily towards the demons at this point, and most of the drow are actually driders converted at Quenthel's order to bring glory to Lolf, and because driders are that much harder to kill in a fight. At the height of the conflict, Catty Bree goes into labour, and she and Kane reveal their secret. Dritz did not die. He used his monk training to ascend his body to a higher form of existence. Bree is also about to have the opportunity to tap into him due to how magic interacts with pregnancy. The practical result of all of that is that as Caddy is giving birth, she reaches out to Dritz and asks him to return to the material plane. He agrees so he can be there for their daughter, and he and Kane switch places. The resulting exchange of energy functions almost like a wish spell. Caddy uses it to banish most of Quenthel's demons, the physical ones, not whatever's going on in her psyche, and convert all of the Driders in the army back into regular Drow. That effectively halts the invasion, as Drow society now has a lot of questions. Is that it? Are you done now? Well, we are, with the history, but Salvatore isn't. There are already two books published and at least one more on the way, with stories focusing on Dritz training his daughter. But by the end of the story where we stopped it, you have the sort of ultimate form of Dritz. He's a drow that's almost 200 years old, wielding the magical scimitar's twinkle and icing death, with enchanted bracers of speed on his arms. In addition to his ranger training and expertise, he is also trained as a monk. He has a magic onyx figure he can use to summon Guinevar, and is also able to summon a unicorn. He's married to Caddy Bree, and they have a daughter, Brianelle Zaharina. Now, as you might have gathered from the argument earlier, Dritz has turned into a somewhat controversial figure. Fans of the Drow hold him up as the best character in the Forgotten Realms. He's touted as an exemplar of overcoming your heritage and standing up to oppression because of his background. He's also the prototypical D&D Ranger, dual-wielding and working with an animal companion, and he can stalk and kill enemies with amazing efficiency. He's also grown as a character, from his basic beginnings and fish-out-of-water status into a caring lover, a thoughtful arbiter of good and evil, and a champion of the downtrodden. And he's done all that without verging into lawful stupid territory, or backsliding even in the face of adversity. He's unfailingly loyal to his friends, and isn't afraid to call people out, up to and including his father. And he's got a lot of tragic hero built in, given how much loss he's faced and worked through. The fact that he's an unstoppable badass in combat is just a bonus on top of everything else. Then there's the other position. A lot of those so-called hardships are because his methods of interpersonal problem-solving are straight out of a CW superhero show. Is there a large crisis threatening my friends? Go at it alone! Am I being manipulated by very evil people? I'll allow it for the greater good. Is there a misunderstanding between me and someone with a tragic story? I'd better let them kill me to show I empathize. Am I brooding and depressed about something? Was it something I had no control over and couldn't possibly change? The answer to both of those questions are always the same. Also, some people find his moralizing about tolerance and always doing the right thing really suspect. 
He'll almost literally throw himself on his sword because the murdery elf pirate woman is a child he let live once when she was a kid, ignoring the fact that murdery pirate is not hyperbole. On the other hand, he killed literally hundreds of orcs that were part of an army fighting for their independence and recognition as a race, simply because they were orcs and he was mad that his friends died. And he agonized over that for all of... Oh wait, he didn't. And oh my goodness, the women. Apparently the guy walks into a room and all the straight women are on their backs for him half a second later. Remember, a reincarnated drown matron mother devoted to Lolf quit her entire culture, home, and religion just because she effectively followed Dritz to magical TikTok. That last point is often brought up when people claim Dritz is in fact the ultimate Mary Sue. For those who aren't familiar, a Mary Sue character is defined as an author insert character used for wish fulfillment and or an idealized character who is talented at everything and has no meaningful flaws, but may have a tragic backstory. Dritz is never really in a situation where he fails at any major effort or task. When necessary, he also seems capable of any type of fighting, hunting, or magic that's required of him. Unfortunately, R.A. Salvatore hasn't done great at arguing against that. He has said many times that he is not dritzed. However, there are just as many times where he's talked about things like Menzo Baranzan's matriarchal culture and Drow's family was actually based on his own experience with his four older sisters. The fight scenes are drawn from his experiences working as a bouncer in his youth, and Dritz's discussions of morality with Dahlia and his father come from Salvatore's own introspection over real-life issues of race and equality. The other tinfoil hat theory about Dritz and Salvatore is that the author is just sick of writing him. If you remember, after his second trilogy, Salvatore said that they were done with Dritz after six books. Some people believe that that is literally true. Starting with the Paths of Darkness trilogy, many fans noticed Dritz seemed to be less and less of a focus in the books, with secondary characters taking centre stage more often and for longer segments of the books. Dritz became a Superman-like figure, who arrives in the nick of time to save the day. The ultimate example of this, people argue, is the Generations trilogy, where his father is resurrected. Dritz's content makes up maybe a quarter of the first book. Most of it is spent arguing with his father, and then he is all but absent from the second and third entries. However, whatever feelings readers or Salvatore have about Dritz, he has a lot of devoted fans, and that means Wizards of the Coast is happy to have him around. As mentioned, Salvatore has already published two more books continuing the story we laid out here, and at least two more have been announced. That's not even counting the video games, animated programs, and other entertainment he's been attached to. So, like him or not, Dritzt is probably going to be around for quite a while yet. Hey, wait, come back, no! Oh, if I wasn't so exhausted from maintaining that stupid hut, I'd- What is the big deal, Katie? I still don't get it. What's wrong with me meeting Dritzt? Come on, you're smarter than this. Hattiebree's sword? The sword that Herzgo trapped in Trey with? The crystal shard? The man destroys cursed items without even thinking. Aw, Katie, nothing's gonna happen to the hat. I just want to see what the fuss is about. I mean, he is the most famous drow in the world. Fine, but if you get a crush on him, I swear. Really? You want to start talking about your love life? How many fights do you want to have today? Whatever. Go play with your friends in the pool, then. I need a drink. What news from the north? 
Join us at Rohan! Message for you, sir. Last time we asked you, the listeners out there in the multiverse, the new Unearthed Arcana is out. What do you think about the new classes? Do you agree the ranger has a role now? Is the bard being pigeonholed? Is the rogue a rogue? And what do you think of the feats and rule changes the Unearthed Arcana dropped on us? Are they continuing a positive trend in tweaking and cleaning up the rough edges of 5th edition? Or are they dragging the game down into a muted, unfun mess of confusion? Uh, first, we want to apologize because we missed this feedback a while ago, but Andreas wrote in on the website to say, I'm really skeptical regarding the critical role rules. The automatic success on ability checks, level 1 player smashes down the castle on a natural 20, is not how we played all these years for a reason. Also, Jeremy Crawford's remarks regarding the recharge attacks being the equivalent of monster crits makes me think they will overhaul monster recharge attacks in general and further move away from the supposed backwards compatibility. Awesome show, listening for years now. Ghoul on Discord says, Great show, I always love hearing all your takes on new releases. Regarding the classes, I really like the newly enhanced healing abilities of the Bard, although I'm a bit biased as the Bards in my homebrew setting mostly function as priests. Songs of Restoration is way better than Song of Rest ever was, and I'm sure no one misses Counter Charm. The new Bardic Inspiration is a huge improvement, but I just can't get behind the swap from Charisma to Proficiency Scaling. While the highest levels do favor Proficiency Scaling, the UA Bard's ability to give Inspiration only beats the 5e Bards by level 17, assuming the 5e Bard maximizes their Charisma, and the official WotC publications almost never go that far. It seems like those who would benefit most from the proficiency scaling would be bards that don't increase their charisma score. With charisma also having no bearing on the number of spells you can prepare, maybe Watsi is trying to move away from reliance on primary ability scores. With the ranger, there's no doubt that the class has had the biggest improvement thus far, and I totally agree that Hunter's Mark should be made a class feature. The ranger sort of feels like the new Hexblade Warlock in terms of how front-loaded its abilities are. Dipping even just one level into ranger gets you expertise, an extra skill proficiency, Hunter's Mark with no concentration, full armor and weapon training, plus access to first level primal spells. The only complaint I have with the class is that Foe Slayer still seems disappointing as an 18th level ability. Continuing on, Ghoul says, with regards to the general game mechanics, I'm glad that they codified the different actions you can take, though I think we could have done without the fixed DCs. The changes to the existing feats are pretty good. I think the removal of static damage bonuses from feats like Sharpshooter and the Great Weapon Master will help to diversify builds in the long run. Most of the epic boons seem a little bit lackluster to me though. On that note, I agree with Ostron that Wizards of the Coast appears to be focusing less on the higher levels of play. So far, the expert classes seem to get most of their best abilities around the 6-13 to 13 level range. But I also agree with Ryu that the level shifting incentivizes multi-classing, especially with the growing prominence of proficiency-based abilities. And of course, I very much agree with Lennon's sentiments on exhaustion. I use the exhaustion mechanics a lot in my games, and now it's even easier to incorporate. Phoenix on Discord wrote to say, I like the changes that Wizards of the Coast has made to the classes, with one exception. By making the bard take healing magic, Wizards of the Coast seems to be forcing a character creation choice on the player. After removing any absolutes from the original character creation, why have they made the bard a secondary healer? Telling players they must prepare these spells seems to be the antithesis of what they have been doing. I know that the spells take up no slots. This would be better explained in the spellcasting section rather than in the ability description, but I digress. Even though it takes up no spots, the other player will know that you have healing magic and bug you for it. 
It will make for disgruntled bards for sure. The feat changes are welcomed. My favorite one as a DM is the nerfing of guidance. By only allowing it if a PC fails a check, it stops all the backtracking of, oh, I would have cast, I just didn't hear what player said. You can't just tap everyone on the shoulder and say guidance. Also, only allowing it once per long rest makes it mean more. The verbose bard on Discord says, As a self-proclaimed bard, I have mixed feelings about the expertise classes. First, the ranger. I like what they've done to the ranger a lot. I've never had one of my players be a ranger in 5th edition unless they're multiclassing. I feel the game mechanics for a ranger now measure up to the story potential for the class. Now for Hunter's Mark without needing concentration, at first, I was really excited for this. However, after watching the D&D shorts guy on YouTube, I have my doubts. Let's not forget that with your background, you get a free feat. If Magic Initiate is your feat at level 1, a ranger using Hex and Hunter's Mark with two hand crossbows is dealing around 6d6 damage per round. The temptation of power gaming and min-maxing is calling. Second, the rogue. On the one hand, I feel that very little has changed with the rogue, but on the other, I feel like adding the magic item option is a very big change. I honestly can't point my finger to why, but as more information comes out, I feel that it will be important in my character builds. Continuing on, they say, Third, the Bard. The Bard is one of my favorite character classes. In 5th edition, it's the charismatic jack-of-all-trades. You can do magic, you can sword fight, you can play instruments, you can do anything that you want. But not anymore. The Bard is now going to fulfill a specific role. The emphasis is going to be magic. They have given you some very interesting buffs to help you do this. Healing is a very good thing. It falls in line with what most bard roles have been outside of 5th edition. The bard has always stood out in my mind as the best archetype for tabletop gaming. A storyteller bringing friends and strangers alike to a table, having the freedom to shape the narrative any way that your imagination can conceive. You could try seducing the bartender's daughter to get you into the cellar, or you could find yourself juggling candlesticks whilst dancing on a table to make a distraction for your party to sneak into the back room. Or maybe using Mage Hand to pick the pocket of a stranger across the room. Maybe you decide to challenge that orc to a rap battle and use cutting words to give you the advantage. You could always just pull out your trusty blade and start swinging away. I feel that the jack-of-all-trades master of none is what I want out of a bard not a caster without a good melee option. He finishes, In conclusion, I feel that wizards are closing a lot of the loopholes that 5th edition players have found. Many of the changes are small things that close the power creep and exploitation. 5th edition is a lot of fun, but it is broken in many ways. Making the rules work according to the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law is not a bad thing. The player in me feels that this statement is horrible. The DM in me feels like I should applaud what wizards is trying to accomplish. Now that I've said my piece, I hate to admit it, but I think the changes are for the best for the game as a whole. I will just find a new class to play that is not so limited, or spend more time multiclassing to find the freedom to play the way I like to. I think that last summary line that um, the verbose bard put in their feedback there about using multiclassing to find the freedom to play the way that you want to, I think that was always Wizard's intention though. And so, again, I agree. I think that what they're doing is probably best for the game balance overall, certainly as far as the classes go. The whole ridiculous thing about natural 1s and 20s and crit rules, I'm glad they've uh, undone that right. Yeah, the multi-classing thing was the point that I was trying to make when we were talking about all this, all this UA. See, that's why we have listeners. They write in, they tell us what we should have said, and, <laughs> and because it's right. on our show, we can just claim it was Heroes Rise the whole time. At least that's what I just I like the do. fact that almost every time I get people writing in saying I'm right. <laughs> 
I mean, somebody wrote in and said I was right too, so I'm down off the high horse just a little bit. <laughs> I do. Uh, me being right does not preclude you being right about different things. <laughs> I do. I do want to say that, and this isn't a competition. It's not like you know. <laughs> whatever but I, I love how uh with the ghouls feedback it was like oh Ryu was really good with this uh i have to agree with ostron on all of this stuff lennon was there too <laughs> <laughs> and in general feedback as Roland discord says i tried to make a scrying pool comment but i can't even with wizards the last couple of weeks and that brings us to this week's community questions what's your experience with dritz Doord and have you read all the novels any of the novels has he shown up in a video or real life game and now that everyone has a baseline impression, what do you think of the prototypical Drow Ranger? Is he a worthy figure to carry the D&D banner after overcoming adversity and solving problems in truly heroic fashion? Or is he the ultimate Mary Sue, trudging through melodramatic stories long after the author should have moved on? Details on how you can get in touch, coming up next. And so this brings us to the end of the 227th entry into our chronicle. We'll be back with our 228th entry on November 2nd. But before we go, we want to know, for you, dear listener, how was the show? Whatever your thoughts or feelings, let us know. You can comment on this show's post on our website, heroesrisepodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at heroesrisednd. You can email us, sendingstone at heroesrisepodcast.com. Or you can chat with us live and join the Heroes Rise community at discord.heroesrisepodcast.com. This show isn't just a one-way conversation, and we always love to hear from you. So take a minute and tell us your thoughts. And make sure that you're never caught in the middle of a quest without us by subscribing to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Audible, and anywhere else good podcasts can be found. All through our feed at feeds.heroesrisepodcast.com. And if you like the sound of what we do, there are many ways that you can help support us. Heroes Rise is an official Dice Envy affiliate. Get yourself some incredibly awesome dice that will not only make you the envy of your table, but will also help out your favourite D&D podcast. Just use our affiliate link, heroesrisepodcast.com slash diceenvy, and be sure to enter the code HEROESRISE at checkout and save yourself an extra 10%. You can also help support the show by subscribing to our Patreon. Tiers start from $4 per month and give you live recordings of the show before the Wednesday release, Heroes Rise t-shirts, pins, and a super secret patron lounge on our Discord server. Plus, occasionally you might get dragged into a recording or two for some dissonant whispers. Lucky you! To become a patron, just head on over to patreon.com slash heroesrisednd. And if a financial donation isn't your thing, that's cool too. Every time you share our show with your friends, family, or your friendly local gaming stores, you help our audience grow. And ultimately, that's why we do this. Thanks for all of your likes, shares, and retweets. We want to take a moment to thank our social media mage Ray Ray, our Conjuration Cabal Bloodlake, Indigo Spectre, and Gath Memvar, and our audio alchemists Mikey, Brenwin, and Tomosthenes. Special thanks go to our halfling moneylenders Marty Chidoric, The Despoiler, the Hobbyist, Randall Evans, Brewhammer, The Sobby, Rat Queen, Amber Squirrel Craning, Strife, Cordron, Daft Kronk, The Record Spinning Economy, The Shadow Known Only as Azeral, and That One Guy. Vince Fep for all the awesome music you've heard throughout the show. Be sure to check him out at vincefep.bandcamp.com and Low of Lowe's Lair, the designer of our banners and avatars. You can find him on Twitter at Lowe's underscore Lair and Facebook at facebook.com slash Lowe's Lair. But above all, we want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to our tales this evening. And until our paths shall cross again, fare thee well, brave adventurers.
then we're going to head into the archives of Candlekeep and take a long rest as we attempt to tackle a subject that's taken 38 mainline lo- 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 So close. <laughs> okay. Hold on, Azrael's typing something. <laughs> it's better be good and show-related, Azrael. Yep. If not, nothing's <laughs> coming your way, so... <laughs> ladies, ladies, if I can go on. Zach the thing, the Possibly in the original drow, but not as it's written there. Dritzt heads up there and runs into a nice young woman named... Sorry, is that real? Caddy Bree? Yep, Caddy Bree. Oh my god. Get used to it. (laughs) By the way, McGrissel totally sounds like a really bad McDonald's item. (laughs) Menu item. Yeah, anyway... I'm going to take this opportunity right here to say one. F*** you, Bob Salvatore. That is a, <laughs> that is not a name. That is that is somebody who's hammered their face on the keyboard. And secondly, I am apologizing in advance to the audio editors for this, because this is going to be 35 minutes. <laughs> <clears throat> Pasha Pook's hometown is across some water, so at the recommendation of their friends, the three-book passage on one Captain Dudermont, really? <laughs> Dudermont. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Dudermont. <laughs> Back at the Mithra Hall, Dritz's friends figure out that Entreri as Regis had put some mojo on them, and to ensure Dritz was sent into the wilderness, they read that sentence in the correct cadence. What's that? <sighs> we'll know if we ever figure it out. <laughs> the lore explanations came out a few years after the rules released, however. Wait, what? Unnecessary comma? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The massive flux and magical energy awakens sentience in... Yeah. That word. Yep. <laughs> Hold on. I see another thing that I have to pronounce later. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> That's a fun name. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they all take a trip into the... Sh- 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 Dritz, during his year of captivity, did a lot of introspection and wants to find a rule dish. <laughs> I don't think that sound is pronounced. Really? Because jury's out. Intrary tells Dritz about his friend's cap- capture. Hold on, I have to, I have to do something about Patron Lounge because that that gift gif is throwing me off. Okay, there we go. Grumpf, Grumpf is stuck. Grumpf telling you. Is stuck. <laughs> The names Grumpf. And- <laughs> Grumpf. Grumpf. <clears throat> you sound like you're grumfing. And eventually, Jarlaxle and Zacnafine find themselves in a tough spot, cornered by a bunch of G-Mans. G- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really aggressive FBI agents in that part of the field. Catty Bree is also about to have the opportunity to tap him into what? <laughs> It doesn't even make much sense when you read it correctly, so. <laughs> but may have a bad, a magic track story. Lots of bad ones on that track, are there? It has no meaningful flaws, but may have a magic track. Uh, <laughs> take three. The verbose bard on Discord says, as a self proclaimed there. Were you, he, I don't he think that's what he called that himself. At all. Yeah. Are you sure? Because mm-hmm. that's what I read. It's not what's Less written down. Drops. I can tell you. <laughs> or cough drops, depending. 
tiers start from four dollars per month and give you a life. Blah, blah, blah. And give you a life. I yes. wish. <laughs> I wish I had one. Anyway, just kidding. I totally have one. Kind of. Badges, badges, badges. <laughs>